ice on my uh, window here in my study. Uh, it looks like it's starting to melt a little bit, which is good. So um, I hope it uh, the ice dissipates and it just turns to rain real soon. So I hope uh, you all be safe today and uh, we can uh, spend our time together now for a few moments in the book of Romans. <clears throat> so turn with me to chapter four of the book of Romans. Today I'm going to, of course, I'm going to be preaching from and teaching from uh, my uh, the usual uh, English Standard Version, but I want to read from the message, a translation by Eugene Peterson, uh, just uh, to give you a different flavor of how uh, it can be a little bit more uh, everyday language. Uh, so we're looking at chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 13, to uh, the end of the chapter, verse 25. Um, so uh, before I begin uh, to read, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God. Your graciousness and mercy are abundantly clear as we have begun this uh, service today. Uh, Lord, we praise you and thank you for being a God who cares and who loves us uh, in spite of our, our, uh, our actions at times and how we think and how we live. Uh, Lord, your word tells us that uh, you understand all these things of, of uh, how we live our lives and the inconsistency of it. But uh, in spite of that, I trust Jesus and you have given us hope. And you have lived it all perfectly for us. And so your faith is perfect and the faith that we rest upon and your obedience uh, and your love for us. So uh, we pray now that as we read these words that, again, you would be the focus of our attention, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be very present and uh, very uh known to us in our hearts and in our minds now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be reading from verse 13 on chapter 4. That famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly and signing them, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise, that's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine pay, make sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in his way and then simply embracing him in what he does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. The religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. 
for Abraham, father of all of us. He's not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He's our faith father. We call Abraham father because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in the scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then came a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Deciding not on the basis of what he he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility up. He drowned God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise, came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he said. That is why it is said Abraham was the fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just not Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. So we're looking at this uh, chapter four. Today's the uh, last message in this chapter. And um, we were uh, looking at last week's message and uh, passage one through 12. There was a key word there. And um, if you look in, in your uh, Bible in the, uh, in the ESV or whatever translation, in verse uh, thir- three, it says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him his rights in, in several places. There, there is the word counted. And um, the word counted means uh, it's an accounting term. And it means reckoned or accredited or um, um, imputed is the uh, theological word. And that, and, and, uh, that, as we looked at, that is something that we cannot pay. That is something you don't even have the bill and yet paid for by us as if we paid it or even further as if we never owed it so um last week i read from um philemon uh, verses 17 and 19 it really helps us again to understand what this means in philemon 17 through 19 it says Paul writes, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's a Nesmeris. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul writes this with my own hand. 
I will repay it. So we see that there is this uh, debt that was owed, then was paid by someone else as if he owed it. And yet this is what uh, accredited means and reckoned means and accounted means. Imputation means, as we ended last week's message, the chapter uh, five of Second Corinthians, it says, um, he who no sin became sin that we might become the rich the uh, righteousness of god and um so as again christ took on our sin but it wasn't his sin and in in, in return this great transaction was that god uh, jesus gave us his righteousness but it wasn't our righteousness it's improved it's it's credited to our account it's not us but it, it is now counted to our account I've always been righteous, which is mind-boggling. Uh, that's uh, that great song, And Can It Be? Uh, that's, uh, that's just a, uh, a mind-blowing scriptures can present to us. And when we come to that understanding, and I hope you are there, uh, it, is, uh, it is quite, uh, quite comforting. Uh, it is quite staggering uh, to believe that uh, this is how God now looks at us. Uh, as we are in Christ, uh, follow my son. He is, I am well pleased with him. Follow him. Uh, so this is uh, where we were looking at last week and the last two verses there uh, of 11 and 12, when it, talk, it was talking about circumcision, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe being circumcised so that the righteousness will be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so now he, in verses uh, 13 through uh, uh, 16, we're, we're seeing here that uh, we are looking at how Abraham became the father of both the Jew and the Gentiles. He became the father of all believers. Uh, all, all of us are followers of our, our children of Abraham. And uh, that's pretty amazing as well. Uh, so we see a new kind of word, a new word here this week. We looked at counted this week uh, six times or five times the word promise is here. And so now we're, we've said that a new word is given to us in verses uh, in this in this chapter, in this uh, passage. And verses 13 through 16 tells and explains for us how is it that uh, we became that, uh, how are Jews and Gentiles, how is Abraham the father of all? Who believe. And then in verses 17 through 22, we're going to take a look at Abraham's faith. Uh, what, are, what are kind of the characteristics, characteristics of Abraham's faith? And then in verses 23 to 25, we're going to, we're going to look at it and say, what does that all mean for us? Um, so let's look at uh, verses 13 through uh, 16. And um, these are, uh, this, this passage, these uh, pa chapter, for our, uh, as I said last week, 
uh, our, our answers, a little bit more elaborated answers to uh, the questions that we were given in verses 27 and through 31 of, um, of uh, the previous chapter three. Uh, we were looking at boasting. We were looking at uh, the principle or the law of faith. And uh, uh, then uh, last week we were looking also at um, God, the, Jew, uh, the God Jews only. And, um, uh, and then he had a discussion there about circumcision and when Abraham was considered righteous and justified by faith happened well before he was ever circumcised. So it wasn't a hoop that he had to jump through before he was uh, sent, uh, uh, justified by God and, and the right by uh, God. It was well after he was uh, declared just and righteous before God. And so um, this week we're looking at the very last one, uh, verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And so in this chapter, and uh, in, in the remaining part of this chapter, in this in these passage, Paul is going to explain that and, and, and answer that question a little bit more than just saying, uh, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So the verse, uh, these verses, if we look at, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So we've been, we've, uh, this whole passage, this whole section from chapter 3, verse 21, till we get to uh, verse 25 today, is about justification by faith. And we've learned what justification by faith is. It's by, um, you know, this grace, this gift that God has given. And then we read it in chapter 17, and then we read it again in chapter 3. It's, um, it's by, we see it in, even here in, in verse 28 of chapter 3. For we, we hold, we hold, again, this is something that we are confessing and we are, have a conviction about. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. And um, so um, this is theme that Paul is telling us. And it's, it's. It's important for understand this. I, I hope you see the applicability for this. Uh, I hope you see that this is just not uh, a boring doctrine uh, uh, section of, of this letter. Uh, it is extremely exciting. Um, it's the foundation for our faith. It's, uh, it sets us in alignment with what God tells us my gospel is, what Paul says, my gospel. Uh, and so it's very important for us to get that right. And so he goes at great lengths to make sure that the readers of this, not only uh, the Roman church, but also us, understand what it means to be right with God, to be justified. And why is it so important? And I hope you've seen through these messages of, of our inability to be right with God on any other term. And, and it's, so it's, we're justified by faith. But again, the question is faith in who or faith in what? And so Paul's been dissecting that, which is very good questions, right? We talked about talking to people, um, spending time with somebody, uh, happens to find out that you're a believer or you make a mention that you are, uh, and someone 
someone has questions or uh, is a skeptic or uh, someone is an unbeliever uh, or someone who thinks they're a believer when uh, they really don't know the gospel, um, Paul has given us some questions of who and what are we to, what kind of faith are we to have? Uh, where's our faith directed to? And so it, it, Paul said, Paul said to us, what, what or who do we have faith in? Uh, are we to have faith in the law? Are we to have faith in our own race and our ethnicity? Are we to have faith in our religious uh, beliefs and our activities? And we've seen that in, uh, in circumcision last week. Uh, we actually had the, the communion and the Lord's Supper we celebrated. And, and I mentioned there, uh, do we put all of our faith in baptism? Do we put all of our faith in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? And the answer is no, there's certainly a purpose for that. And it's an important purpose. And we're commanded to be baptized and we're commanded to make sure that we take the sacraments. And that's why they're considered within our Reformed faith, the ordinary means of grace, because they feed us. Uh, they feed our soul, they correct us, they clean our lenses for us, they remind us of the gospel, the extent of Christ's uh, life and love for us. But these are not things that save us. And so we don't put our faith in them. Um, we don't put our faith in our denomination. Uh, we don't put our faith in our role in the church. We don't put our faith in our Bible studies, in our reading of the Bible, in our attendance at church. We don't put any of our faith in any of those things. We don't even put our faith in our obedience because... Uh, how much is enough, right? That's what we, my uh, title is, how, how, how much faith is enough? If we put our, we are justified by our faith and how much faith do we need? Um, Paul says no to all of these things and that's why we've been discussing chapter four. So in verses, uh, in verse 13 on, he says, uh, there's a promise and the promise goes back as, as I said to um, last week, it's important for us to go back to history and to go back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, uh, Genesis 17, uh, where we, we see uh, Abram at the time, Abram, but Abraham is, was called to leave Ur. He was called and he went. Uh, then he was uh, uh, made a covenant with, uh, uh, with God, made a covenant with Abraham in, in 15, where it talks about looking out at the sky and seeing the stars and thinking about his descendants being more numerous than them. Um, and then, um, and then he was going to be the father of many nations and Kings were going to come from him. And it, he says that in chapter 17 as well, where uh, that is where um, in verse in chapter 15, we see this is where it says Abraham believed and he was justified uh, with God at that point, which is where we, uh, we've been we've been reading in in, in Romans, uh, and we read in other places as well. Um, we also uh, uh, we go on to uh, chapter twenty two, and twenty two is there where is Abraham is tested, and um, it is there where he says God says to him, "It's because you've done this thing," which is quite interesting. And is is what thing did he do? And that's where he was actually uh, put his son. Isaac on the on the altar to sacrifice him because God asked him to, and yet he was it was withheld for him to do that, and God did provide a sacrifice, as as uh, Abraham kept on saying, right? Uh, God will provide the sacrifice. 
God will provide provide the sacrifice, always certainly looking to Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice and the only son at the time of uh, Abraham that he was going to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, uh, through his wife, um, Sarah, uh, the son of promise. So this is where we're, we're reading uh, this uh, about the word, the use of promise. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, as it is known that, that chapter 11, in verses 8 and 9, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then it says in, in uh, what, what Paul is, uh, does for us is helpful to shed light on, on this uh, promise is as we read in um, Galatians and Galatians has a lot to say about, about the covenant and the offspring of Abraham as as, uh, as we are as we are that and um, I uh, pray that that uh, you will take time to read Galatians but I'm going to read some for you here in, in verses uh, three chapter three verses seven through nine. It says, know that when that know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So we see that, that uh, Paul uh, interprets uh, those chapters that we looked at in. Um, Genesis dealing with his relationship with Abraham that he preached the gospel to him by saying that you will you shall uh, shall all the nations be blessed through you so then Paul continues to write those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith and then in chapter 4 of Galatians verse 23 he says but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while that's Hagar while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So you see, there's a distinction there, right? Of promise and of flesh, which you're going to see these comparisons, uh, grace and promise and um, faith and grace and promise. And then you're going to see works and law. Those two go together, the law and the works and grace through faith or grace as um, being a gift as well. Um, <clears throat> And then it says in, in the, that same chapter, chapter four of Galatians, now brothers, like Isaac, you are children of the promise. Uh, so uh, this is something that is, I hope, uh, not new, but something that is, is uh, uh, encouraging and, and uh, hopeful and a reminder of our place in, um, in the heart of God that he was thinking about us uh, through Abraham, and also, as we are told, even before the foundations of the world, of the earth, of anything, of all creation, God had called us to be his and has chosen us to be his. So we see uh, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. And um, because uh, of this statement, uh, 
it's quite interesting to see that again, Paul interprets all that about the nations and the inheritance and how you will be, you know, kings will come from you. And they, though he does talk about, about the land of Canaan being uh, a possession, um, he expands that. And uh, even the rabbis did, um, who, um, who understood Genesis actually wrote about how this inheritance was not only the land, but that it was going to be the world. And uh, we are told by Jesus, right, the meek shall inherit the earth. And so there's a concept that, that it is not just meant for that piece of land in the Middle East, but um, it is something for God's people uh, who may be short-sighted thinking that it's just something that's their land and that's, that's their prized possession but really for the people of God who have been uh, given faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, that it is not only a, a geographical piece of land, it's the entire world. And he says here that we, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it, if it is adherence, now this is verse 14 of chapter 4, for if it is adherence, of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith and the promise is void, right? There's no need for that. If you can work for it, if there's a contract, as, as that translation of uh, Eugene Peterson, the message said, if we sign you know, the papers, then it's a contract. It's a business deal. It's not a covenant. Um, and it's not out of promise. For the law, verse 15, the law brings wrath. That's what we're going to continue to find out that there has been a purpose for the law. Uh, uh, the positive is that we, we certainly are given the guidelines of understanding uh, what God requires of us uh, and uh, the guardrails of where, how we're supposed to live our life. None of those, uh, of course, give us eternal life. And the word teaches us that none of us can follow the law perfectly. Only Jesus did. Uh, so by knowing that we can't follow the law, then as we've read in the book of Romans, that uh, if because we are disobedient and because we uh, don't uh, glorify God, we, uh, we should expect the, the wrath of God to be upon us. It has been revealed, as it says in verses 18 of chapter 1 on, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so I... Uh, uh, want you to understand that what he's saying there that uh that there is if we don't know the law we still are lawbreakers uh my business law class was one of the one of the memory memory thing uh concepts we had to have is ignorance is no excuse so we are all lawbreakers uh, but what, what, what the Bible teaches us is in, in Romans 7 he says I didn't even know what sin was until the law came and what he's saying there, and we'll get back to that uh, in the future, but he's saying that there's no category. Of course, Adam, Abraham didn't have the law either, right? He didn't. It was 430 years later, uh, Galatians tells us. He didn't have uh, the law was given to him. So, But he was a transgressor. Um, he was a pagan, right? He was ungodly. Um, that's what the, uh, Paul writes. He was ungodly and circumcised. Uh, when he was made righteous with God, uh, he was he was uh, justified with God because he believed uh, God. And and how much did Abraham know about God? 
We don't know. We just know that God gave him faith to believe what he understood. And he went and he left his land and he left his family and he left the idolatry of paganism. And he, he became the father of the nation of, of Jews, of Jews, of Israel. And, um, and so it says that uh, there's, there is transgression. It's just that now I, when someone tells me not to do something, I know now that there is a codified law, as we know in this Bible, that we are not to do these. The moral law and the Ten Commandments. Uh, we are not to covet it, and uh, we are not to take God's name and, uh, and use it in a un, uh, in a uh, very disrespectful, or unholy, um, uh, irreverent way. Um, so that that is now tells us that we are not uh, to uh, do these things. So these are the guardrails that he's talking about here. He says, uh, there was no, if there, where there is no law, there is no transgression, meaning that um, there is no category, but there is, there is a transgression. Uh, verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. See, you have works and law, law, law works, and then you have promise and grace. And the reason it's a promise, because who gave us the promise? And it's God. It's not another human being. It's God who made a promise. Therefore, God has gives us this uh, great guarantee that he promises us. And if we understand who God is, and if we understand that God is great and God is good, and if we understand that God is uh, all-knowing and and God is merciful, and God is pure, and God is holy, and God is wise, uh, then we realize that God is faithful, and his promises are true, and amen in Christ. So uh, it says it depends on faith, not, not on anybody else's saying. It depends upon faith, not on a contract, not on a law, not on any kind of works, because then it's based upon a gift of, from God who didn't have to do any of that with us, but yet chose to reveal himself and to enter into a covenant with you and me and others who know Christ and tells us that he who began a work in us will see it to the completion, right? See it to the end. It's guaranteed. Jesus says it is finished on the cross to all of his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is, is the father of us all so it's talking about uh, the promise um, the promise of of the uh, that god made with abraham is the promise that he then ultimately makes with us and then we uh, we see in um uh, chapter this chapter here verses 17 through 22 we take a look at abraham's faith and he hebrews 1 tells us now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, um, which is uh, where how, how, how uh, Abraham was navigating, right? I mean, he didn't have a lot to go on, but he just trusted God. Go. Okay, God, I'll go. Leave. Okay, God, I'll leave. Uh, believe me that I'm going to give you a son. Uh, and it says in Hebrews 11, 12 therefore from one man and him good as dead were born descendants 
as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the sea. So we see here this now in verse 17 on to verse 22. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Again, we have seen that in uh, Genesis 17. In the presence of God in whom he believed. All this is he believed. He didn't have anything written. Uh, it, it wasn't codified for years and years and years afterwards. He says here, it was in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Um, we see that what we're talking about here, we could, we could uh, think of when we hear these terms, of course, sort of, of course creation, right? Uh, God created what we see out of nothing. That's um, called ex nihilo. Uh, and it means that God didn't create something out of something. He created it by his word. He created it. He spoke it into being. Um, and so um, uh, we can look at it that way. Or we can also look as, as it says here, uh, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Meaning that, as it says, I just read that he was, Abraham was good as dead as from a, from a sense of being able to have children and, and his wife, Sarah was infertile their entire relationship and their entire marriage. And so uh, being a hundred and, and being in her nineties, how on earth could there be any expectation that there would be any children, but yet he believed the impossible from God. He believed that God was able to do, if it was a promise, God was going to make it somehow. God was going to do it somehow. And uh, that's, what, that's what it says in God whom he believed. He believed God's word. He said it and he believed it. Um, he says in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope, right? As we were talking, that he should become the father of his. How can that be, Lord? I do child. So show your offspring be. And now he goes on and he talks about, he talks about these kind of attributes of, uh, uh, of, of Abraham's faith. And he says uh, he believed against hope. He didn't uh, weaken in faith when he considered. Notice when he considered, when he thought about his own body. Was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he, he considered meaning that he really is <laughs> the barrenness of Sarah, how, and I can't imagine scratching his head, wondering how this was all going to take place. How was this ever going to happen? But he believed in God. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave God, he gave glory to God, fully convinced. He didn't see these uh, attributes, these characteristics of, of Abraham's faith. He did not, distru he did not uh, distrust God. Um, he didn't, uh, he, he, or he didn't uh, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in, in, in strong in his faith. And the, and the part of this was the key to all this is that he gave God 
glory to God. That's something completely different than we began this chapter, uh, 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 the book with, of um, chapter one. Uh, they exchanged the glory of God for idols, and they did not even thank God. So that's a, a, a complete counterpart, complete uh, contrast, uh, opposite of what we're seeing here. Uh, these, this is a man of faith. Uh, he did not weaken. And he considered the things around him. He saw the circumstances around him, and he did not waver in his faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise, but he grew in strength and strong in his faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, something here, I, I, I'm sure you're thinking about in your mind. I just don't, I, I see, I have a hard time because I did see Abraham waver. I brought it to attention last week as uh, it says uh, when Sarah wanted to have a child and could no longer wait. She gave Hagar, uh, her slave, uh, to Abraham, and he complied. And, of course, this, this young man comes out and um, waiting for his own son uh, to come someday. And, uh, and we remember the visitation of the, of the three guests. And uh, when Sarah was told that, she laughs. And she says she didn't, but they said, oh, yes, you did. You laughed. And um, uh, so we see Abraham wavering uh, there. We see Abraham wavering sometimes along the way. Uh, we see him lying about his relationship with Sarah when he's captured, uh, not only once, but twice. Um, so what does he mean here by wavering? Um, well, There's, uh, I, the word waver to me, or the word that, that, that comes up is, is uh, something as I think of in, in the, the uh, book of James, the letter, James letter, where it's this double-minded person that shouldn't expect uh, to be blessed by God or uh, to honor God. And a double-minded person is a person who, who staggers through life. Um, and uh, I think this is, I think this is what we're talking about here. Uh, he's not talking. Abraham was not a perfect person. Abraham did not have perfect faith, uh, even though these are glowing terms. These are attributes that that uh, that Abraham exhibited as having faith in God and believing God. When he gave God glory, he. Uh, he trusted God and his faith was strong and he did remarkable things. And he, he said and, and, and spoke to us remarkable statements and acted in a very godly way. But there were moments of weakness in his faith. Uh, so we can see that God blessed him and he is the father of faith. So I think about this double-mindedness that the person who's double-minded is a person who staggers through life who doesn't have a way, who tries this and then tries that and tries this and tries that. And that's what I'm thinking, Paul, uh, Paul is saying here that, that uh, Abraham never did that. He was conflicted. He struggled. He came to crossroads in his life. He came to a 
place where he didn't understand what God was doing. But as it says here, and I want to bring your attention to something that we had talked about in uh, verse 27 of chapter three, uh, where it says, then, then what becomes of our boasting is excluded by what kind of law? And again, it, it's I, I, I've uh, with other scholars who've led me to believe this is that is by what kind of principle? And and it says the principle of the law of works. He says no, but by the principle of faith. And this is what I think is really is where he is expanding his understanding about what what this means that uh, Abraham is the father of of uh, of all the of all the ones who have faith because he exhibited. Uh, not a perfect faith, but a, a faith that struggled, but but in the midst of struggling, did not stagger, did not waver, did not vacillate from one thing to another. He was weak at times. He gave in. He was strong at times. He totally believed, but he never stopped going in the direction of trusting God. Uh, and uh, the the in the book of Lamentations, when I we we studied that together. And when we look at the lamenting Psalms of, uh, in the book of Psalms, um, or we look at, uh, we look at uh, the uh, um, Peter walking on the water. What happens? What happens to Peter? Peter starts sinking because he takes his eyes off of Jesus and thinks about his consequences around him. Or the storm on the ship, right? Um, when they're on the boat and they were saying, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die in the storm. He goes, what's the matter with you? And he says, oh, ye of little faith. You have little faith, you have little faiths. Why does he say that? And he, because you, he goes, don't you know who I am? He says, and know what happens. It says he calms the, the storm and the sea is quiet and the winds are quiet. And then they realize who he is. And so it, it, we all go through that. And I think this is what's encouraging for, for me is to look at this and say that there are times in my life where I thank God that the faith that he gave me sustains me in times of trouble. I may be at places, as I've mentioned, we were doing the book of Lamentations. I may be completely incapacitated. I may be pacing the floor. I may be uh, uh, just mindlessly sitting somewhere, just worrying about the problems that I have. I may be in a fetal position on the floor crying because I don't know what next step to take. And you don't understand what God is doing. But yet, God does not desert us. Our faith is secure. Uh, God has said he, he began that work in us. And uh, when we get to the other side, we show that, that uh, we desire to give God the glory. Uh, and that's what, that's, what, that's what I believe this is saying here, is that he says the key to this is giving God glory. Um, is, is constantly focusing on who Jesus is, focusing upon not, not the promises that we want, but what the promises are in the Bible. I've talked to people who say that this is going to happen and this is going to happen, and I believe God's going to do this, and I believe God's going to do that. And I don't necessarily know if these are any attached to promises that are in the Bible. I believe the promises that God gives me in the Bible, and those are the things that I can hold on to. I can have hopeful feelings but God who is going to disappoint me the Jesus is who is going to disappoint me is the one that I've created to give me what I want him to give me and when he does it then I'm disappointed God doesn't promise that or think about the kind of faith that uh, the centurion had right when he says the Jesus 
I have here. He says, my, the, the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to come under you to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the children of faith. In the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, those who are inhabitants of the kingdom, but not real sons of the kingdom, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. We don't know how much faith that man had. What did he have? I don't know what he had, but he just believed in who Jesus was. And he believed that Jesus had authority. He believed and watched and heard Jesus that he could do what he said he could do. So he said, Jesus, you don't need prayer. You are so awesome. You are the God of the universe. You are the Savior. God, you can just speak and it'll take place. And um, uh, Jesus says um, in Matthew 17, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Again, we don't necessarily don't have to have it all right, right? We don't have to have all this knowledge of who God is. It's our passion. It's something that we should desire to learn God more who he is. And that's key, right? To give God glory. The more we understand who God is, we will then understand who he is. And just by the faith that he gives us, Want to have more, want to know more and draw closer to him. And out of gratitude for what he's done for us, turned away his wrath and he became the substitute for us, Jesus, and took away God's wrath and our sins are forgiven as if we've never sinned them. And we've been given right standing with God and our lives are ones of, 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 of progressive holiness. We don't know how much faith, how much faith is enough. All we need to know is, is that we believe in, in that Jesus, now, this is not a place I want you to stay, but, but in moments, we are so distraught in moments when we don't uh, know what God is doing, but we just trust in God. That's the kind of faith that I believe he's saying here as small as a mustard seed. It is not the amount of faith. It is the of our faith. How big is the object of our faith? And that's what this is saying here. All a seed, a mustard seed, uh, with that kind of faith, if God, ha if God uh, says he'll move mountains with that kind of, that little bit of faith, it's more about the object, right? We are justified by faith, the object of our faith. Who is the object of our faith? What is the object? And that's what Paul is trying to take and peel the onion down to understand do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? This is why Abraham is the father of faith, because he didn't look at the circumstances. He believed God. 
He didn't have GPS. He didn't have a burning bush. He didn't have a Bible. He was all by with his people that had blessed the gods to him and went. And he believed, he trusted. And so God gave him all of these descendants on which we are. And so I hope, I hope uh, you understand that, that uh, uh, it is the object of our faith. And how does that grow? It becomes, it grows by understanding God and, 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 and desiring to know the doctrines of our faith and theology. I got some books here that I'm going to really quickly show you. Is, is this one here is by Matthew Barrett called None Greater. And that's a, a, a really great book about domesticated attributes of God. I've mentioned that before. And then here's one by uh, people who have I've loved for many years, but many of you have now become uh, affectionate to him is Sinclair Ferguson. And it's called The Christian Life. And it's a it's a doctrinal introduction. I love the way he talks about this. He doesn't say this is a systematic theology book. This is a book about theology and doctrines about who God is and about our faith. But it says it's the Christian life, which I think is really good. And we're going to in my in my uh, discipleship group, we're going to be looking at this book in the near future. And then there's another book that I think is really good. Uh, that's really helpful. And that's pretty new. And it's by it's by Paul Tripp. And it says, do you believe? And uh, in it. What I really like about it is is the uh, the, the table of contents says uh, studying the doctrine of Scripture, studying the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the holiness of God, God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence, the doctrine of creation, and what the 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 uh, their pairs is chapters. There's two chapters for every subject matter, and at the second chapter that goes along with it says this Scripture. What if we're going to study Scripture? Then how does this what does this do to my everyday life and God in everyday life and God's holiness in everyday life, God's sovereignty in everyday life and God's omnipotence in everyday life, which I think are, are really, really good. So this is how we, we give God glory is by desiring to be study God's word together and to put ourselves in places where we are going to get the unadulterated, the full gospel the full counsel of God. We're going to get what God says to us. And um, that's why it's so important to belong, to be, be a part of a, a strong Bible teaching that, um, uh, that teaches the full Bible from beginning to end and shows you how we see here as Paul, Paul does from the beginning of Gen from Genesis all the way through teaching us all the way through the scriptures, God's plan of redemption. Uh, and then last, uh, I'm going to end here with uh, verses 23 through 25. And this is now what this means for us. And notice what he says, uh, but the words, it was counted to him, as we saw uh, um, in um, verses 1 through 12, the words, it was counted to him, were not written for our sake alone. He says, but, I'm sorry, for, for, uh, for his sake alone, excuse me, for his sake alone, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe him, who raised from dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Um, that word delivered up 
it's something that uh, was in my head when I was thinking of Paul, uh, Peter's uh, sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Uh, you think of Jesus's last week, right, of, of life. He was delivered into the hands of the high priests, and he was delivered into the hands of Herod, and he was delivered into the hands of Pilate, and then he was delivered upon the cross. Uh, we see that God did this. Uh, he was presented, as we, we read, he was in uh, uh, verse 25 of, uh, of Romans uh, 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. This is that sense of putting forward, delivering uh, for a purpose. Uh, this is something that was Jesus, it was done to Jesus. Um, and so uh, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, as it says here in the beginning of this, it says here that uh, uh, in verse four of chapter one of the book of Romans, it says, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, so we see the gospel here, right? He is saying, this is all about the gospel. This is all about the good news. We are all sinners. We are completely unable to please God means we can think of than following Jesus. And God made plans and a provision for us to give us his, his son, his only son, as a propitiation, as a substitute, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, as have been clearly laid out in chapter 1, verse 18 and following of Romans. And here's the gospel in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. You hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we see here that Paul is saying, it's just not for, for um, Abraham's sake this all happened. It was for all of us, all of the people that he died for on the cross, all of the people that he has called and elected, all of the people that he, that he desired us and, and, and wanted us to follow him. And he has, he has given us his spirit so that we can say yes and amen to these promises, so that we can say, yes, Jesus is Lord. And there are going to be times when that's what we can believe in. We may not know everything else that's going on. We may not know all the Bible, but we believe in that. My mother was a, a person with childlike faith. My mother liked to study the Bible, but she didn't like to get too nitty-gritty. Nitty 
she felt that her head would get too confused and she was overwhelmed. But my mother had a childlike faith. My mother, no matter what happened, she was a person, if we were distressed as, as believers, when my wife, Susie and I came to know Christ and would you know, live with my parents for several years, but just in our relationship together when uh, she was alive, my mother always held on to that. That uh, that it, that God promises us that we just trust in Jesus, that we trust in who Jesus is. He died for us. He gave us uh, God gave us His Son. She always believed in that, and uh, that's the kind of faith that can move mountains. Uh, we're going to be singing uh, this last song here. Uh, My faith has found a resting place, and uh, just want to read some of the words to it as we close. This is. It says, my faith has found a resting place from guilt. My soul is freed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the seek, the lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he gave. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now to use these words that you have given to us in your word for the purpose that you gave them to us. That for some of us here today, Lord, who, who are struggling, we pray that you would uh, give them assurance that even though they may not see any further than their nose, they believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sins and that there is no other way, no other place to go, no other God to go to, no other philosophy, no other religion on earth that can, that can give them the assurance and the guarantee of this promise of eternal life in you, Jesus. And for some of us, Lord, I pray that this study together in the book of Romans has clarified for them, has maybe tied up some loose ends, has maybe brought some light to some shadow arrows, areas of their life. Uh, And Lord, I pray that if there are some who are listening who do not get any of this, maybe before, but now are being pricked and being uh, moved by your grace. I pray, Father, that you would uh, uh, continue this work in them, that they would reach out and speak to us about what this all means. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today and pray that it has been a place of encouragement and a place of learning again. So we ask all of this to be planted well deep into our heart, that, Lord, you will give us the faith that we need day by day to glorify you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.